The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. everybody and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. I'm Dylan. And we're here again for another week of minisodes because we never know when this carousel will stop and let us get off. Uh, how are you, Dylan? I'm doing fine. As I told you before we started recording, sorry to shatter the illusion, um, I am very tired. <laughs> I've been and are working. you tired because of work or are you tired because you've been staying up into the small hours playing F- uh, FF7 Remake? Can't it be both? Can't I have <laughs> stayed up into the late hours of the night playing FF7 Remake and then forced myself to wake up early so I can go to work? <laughs> so how are you liking the remake so far? Before we get into the actual topic, I, I, I'm desperately curious and I don't own a PS4, yeah. so I have to live vicariously through you. So far, no spoilers. Um, I basically did the game is divided into chapters and chapter three is the first chapter where you're really allowed to let go and fully explore a town and do side quests and all that other good stuff i'm really digging it so far uh it feels like it checks enough of my boxes across like it kind of combines my favorite stuff from not just my favorite final fantasies but also from my not so favorite final fantasies um i we talked about this in the previous episode we where, did like, yeah um it, it takes mechanics from 13 and 15 um and kind of reincorporates them in a way that's a, a touch bit more engaging uh on top of that there's a lot of um little details in like the world with the npcs that i really enjoy case in point one of my favorite games in the series final fantasy 12 gives you these optional cuts uh optional side quests where you have to uh, talk to an NPC who gives you the story for a monster you have to hunt. You have to either hunt the monster or like find the set parameters to get the monster to show up so you can then hunt the monster. Um, you kill the monster and then you come back to the person and it, it's its own little story. And sometimes that actually changes the dialogue that NPCs will say because even when you're not doing that side quest, characters are still talking about that side quest. Oh, that's really cool. Uh yeah, there, there's there's a, a handful of like times where that's happened, and it, they're all really fun. And what Final Fantasy VII does is, first of all, uh, NPCs are just like you know they're they're having conversations in the background, so you're just overhearing them. Which it's not the first Final Fantasy to do that. I think thirteen did that. So you're you're not talking as directly to them, but uh, their their dialogue changes as you do quests. Um, I did quest for a character named Gwen and after I did the quest for her I walked to another part of town and there's just a character who says like yeah Gwen's been talking you up lately and it's not a lot but it's like it's just like such a nice little bit of detail that like gives you a feeling that you're having an effect on town and your reputation's increasing you do a you do a side quest for the item shop owner 
and he says, oh, you're really good at fighting. Uh, I should sponsor you, or, like, you should sponsor me, or whatever. Um, and so, like, then the lady who's basically a twirler uh, is, like, calling out to passersby and being like, shop at the item shop that sponsors the Merc, because Cloud is known <laughs> as the Merc, and as as he's been getting more clout, not Cloud, haha, uh, as he gains more clout, uh, people keep referring to him as the Merc. Uh, and it's it's really fun. I'm really digging this. It's a nice... The the town in question is Sector 7, and in the original Final Fantasy 7, you spend maybe a total grand total of, on a repeat playthrough, maybe two minutes in Sector 7. <laughs> uh, and they, they you, flesh that it, out to a whole chapter? Yeah. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, and like, I, I've heard people complain about like them stretching the game kind of thin, because it is supposed to be like six hours of a game stretched into 30 or 40 and i can definitely kind of see where they're coming from like there's a lot of quests uh that were available in chapter two and or chapter three don't don't worry about it and they're you know they're not all like super pertinent to the story but that being said i i just kind of enjoy like the little touches they do to make it feel worthwhile at least in my book uh, yeah. So that's that's been really good so far. Um, I also I'm on chapter four right now, which is an entirely original scenario, has nothing to do with anything in the uh, previous game. Oh, super cool. Yeah, I, I'm not going to spoil anything. I was about to mention some stuff, but uh, you go to a, a part of town you were never able to access in the original Final Fantasy seven. You, you're meeting characters. You learn you're learning things about old characters that, you know, don't really seem con- like congruent with like that character's portrayal in the original game but because they were such a minor character i'll accept those liberties taken and so in in some ways because it's entirely new content as i was playing this i'm like oh shit it's almost like i'm playing an entirely new final fantasy and this is also maybe the most i've been into an entirely new final fantasy since 12 oh that's Uh, rad yeah um which isn't to say i i dislike 13 or 15 or 14 i don't really include 14 in the conversation because it's such a different type of game but you know this was kind of one where i'm like oh i can't wait to actually learn what happens next i'm i'm like actually excited to see where this completely original plot line's going that's an exciting way to feel about a remake right exactly very cool okay but that's yeah, not what we, this episode is about on. yeah this episode i want to talk about music and it is kind of baffling to me that we are going into our 70th episode, and we've never done an episode on game music. I mean, it's not like we really study music, Chris. No, which is fair. Like, and that's, that's kind of why. Obviously, this is not going to be an, like one a mini-sode length thing where we cover everything that music does in games, because that's insane. And like Dylan said, we are not music theorists or composers or musicians, really. Like, I think we both sing and we both play an instrument or two, but like, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. Uh, So someday I would love to have somebody with a music theory or composition background or someone who's worked. I mean, like if we can get it, someone who's worked doing music for games, that would be fucking cool. Uh, But immediately before we sat down to record Dylan, Mm -hmm. I opened up a new game, new for me, at least. Uh, It's a game called The Outer Wilds, and it is a a spacefaring exploration puzzle solving game. And that's about as much as I know about it. I I mm-hmm. have I had heard enough about it to make me interested in it because it is the conceit of the game as I understand it. Because again, I like I said, I just started playing it. 
Um, but the conceit of the game, as I understand it, is that there is a time loop happening and you have okay. to travel around the solar system solving puzzles to figure out why this time loop is happening over and over again in a very kind of Majora's Mask sort of way. And that was enough for me to be like, this seems like fun. I'll pick it up on sale and I'll, I'll give it a try. What I wasn't expecting was mm-hmm. to open the game for the first time and to be greeted with a title screen set to slow, jangly, bluegrass acoustic guitar melody. Okay. And it just like... Okay. Yeah. Because what I was aware of was sci-fi puzzle-solving game. And the what I have played of the game so far, I have not yet taken off in my spaceship. I've been wandering around the village of the people that my character belongs to on this little this tiny planet and talking to them and finding out that they like it's all set to this like really pretty like mandolin and banjo and acoustic guitar kind of like weaving into each other very quiet folksy music and then one of the first things you pick up in the game is a device that allows you to like locate and hone in on radio frequencies by virtue of what they sound like so you can like point this like ray gun looking thing up at the stars and like hone in on huh there's one of the other adventurers who went out before me and i can tell it's them because i'm hearing their harmonica playing across time and space and it's wild and it it that's huh it completely threw me for a loop and it completely kind of upended what i was expecting because like I said, I went in kind of blind. I was I knew it was a spacefaring game. And when I think about spacefaring games, I think about the kind of music you get in sci-fi. Like I think yeah, about, you yeah. know, synthesizers and maybe like some orchestra some orchestral sections and like I think Hans. Honestly, Zimmer, this kind of makes me think of uh not fully Cooly, but uh Gitaru Man. Uh, I'm not I'm not familiar. It's it's a rhythm game. Um but like it's got like they, it has like a very similar um, mu- like musical soundscape to Fully Cooly. Oh, very cool! That that excites me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just it it was it completely took me in. I I was not expecting it, and the the focus that it was given in that like very slow opening section where you're kind of just walking around and getting like little mini tutorials before you're allowed to take off in your spaceship. It was really charming, and it like. To, to tie back into our topic, I, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. It's just like moments like that where the choices made by a game's composer or sound designer does something unexpected or does something that helps to elevate what was happening. Uh, um, so this is... I, I guess we're going to jump right off of this. I, yeah, I have a it. bunch of ideas in my mind, but I guess the first thing I want to talk about is in response to what you're talking about. Um, I So... You know, having playing the Final Fantasy VII remake, uh, when I drove to work, I'm like, I'm gonna listen to the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack because I have that physically because I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, as I was kind of listening through the first CD, which, funnily enough, like perfectly covers the events of the remake. Who oh, that's bought, fun. I I got to uh, Aerith's theme, and Aerith's theme has been like redone like dozens of times as a lot of different renditions but like listening to the original of it it's very striking in how little there is you have one synth that's kind of like a flute synth that does the main theme 
And then you have like this kind of reverbs uh, xylophone that kind of plays this motif over and over again. That's just kind of this, it, it's got this ethereal quality. And like when you listen to the theme orchestrated, it's this very like bombastic, um, romantic type of uh, ballad. And I guess like what's interesting to me is like because of the nature of Final Fantasy VII and the synth and everything, I feel like only the MIDI version of this soundtrack could get away with doing that type of thing. <laughs> uh, Chris, if you if you want to take like a couple seconds, just listen to uh, Aerith's theme because it's it's a pretty quick song, and also like with the magic of editing, you don't have to yeah. keep the pause in here. Wait, oh, it's not Aerith's theme. That's why I'm an idiot. It's the church theme, but it uses her motif. I really love this vibraphone synth. Yeah, it's so good, and so it's it's like very light on percussion. In fact, I would say there isn't any percussion except the synth sounds like a xylophone, which is technically percussion. And then, like, the next theme you hear in Final Fantasy VII is the Turks theme, which is a very, uh, it's a very, like, stomp kind of, like, it's entirely percussion with, like, maybe three notes played on a bass to kind of give it a semblance of a melody. Yeah, just, just listen to that shit break down for a little bit. Unfortunately, oh, this I've heard one this take... one before. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, there's there's something really cool about like this is the reason that I think that the move away from people buying whole albums is a a a shame. Yeah. <laughs> and like, obviously, you can still listen to full albums on like you know music streaming services or things, but like, there is an artistry to knowing how to arrange music. And yeah. how to order tracks to have the most impact. And seeing that brought in in a game where like you can you can tie that contrast in what you're hearing to like contrast in what's happening and like to ni- give narrative weight. It's yeah, that's really cool. Absolutely. Um, I, also, need to, the, I need to mm-hmm. sit down and play more of Final Fantasy seven. I have not touched my switch version in too long because you're playing the switch version. It is a surprisingly quick game. Uh, like, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not short, but like you can still, I would say you could beat it in about the same time it would take you to do. How long did it take you to beat thousand year door? Oh, I don't remember. It's been so long since I played that game too. Okay. That's fair. I I feel like it's like a 20, I want to say like an average, like, yeah, I'd say you could beat uh, final fantasy seven in about that time with the boosters and the, the fast forwarding function. And maybe uh, I'll have to try that. Yeah. The next moment I want to, or the next game I want to talk about, actually, funnily enough, is Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door. <laughs> of course it is. Because that is, hi, if, if this episode 70 of our podcast is your first time tuning in, I love Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door. It's one of my favorite games of all time. And part of why that is, is because it manages to kind of like what I was just talking about with those changes in experience being mirrored by changes in music. Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door is a game where you will go from one chapter fighting a dragon in an ancient castle to the next chapter. Oh, what's the ne- what's the second chapter of that game? Um, oh god, you're asking the wrong person. Yeah, I'm blanking. <laughs> chapter 2 isn't the wrestling league, but the wrestling league doesn't no. come very far after the fighting the dragon and then really? not long after it felt like so f- much further. <laughs> and then not long after you go to the wrestling league, you end up solving a murder mystery on a train. So there's that's the kind of game that Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door is. And that is a game that manages so well to simultaneously like exactly nail its musical aesthetic 
while letting it do a ton of different weird things. Like there's, I don't have a moment for it like you do for Final Fantasy VII, partially because I, like I said, I haven't played it in a very long time, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a game that just like the visual of aesthetic of that game is so strong and so distinct. You know, it's Paper Mario. It is a papercraft world, and everyone is flat. And when they turn around, you see them like briefly go two dimensional, and they manage to match that aesthetic so well with this really frenetic, like kind of across the board, fairly frenetic music, like the the Rockport theme. Uh, no, Rogueport, that's what it's called, the Rogueport theme, mm-hmm. ha- has this great, like, there's like this, this like, kind of going underneath the whole thing, and then that's being matched by, like, these really high, like, trill moments, and it just, it, it sounds like the kind of music that you would hear going under like a video of New York from the 1940s where they're like a city on the grow, but like <laughs> dialed up in the cartooniness. Right. Right. And like the, the way that that the music plays such a big part in making that game feel the way that it does that I, I, even though I don't have like a specific, like, and in this moment it it's worth talking about. And actually, uh, eight big, eight big, eight bit music theory, eight bit music theory. I speak, all the time, uh, did a whole video on... See, Chris, paper- you should have done my vocal warm-up. I, sh- <laughs> I should not have. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, 8-Bit Music Theory did a whole video on Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Doors use of chromaticism and the way that that helps to kind of lend that slightly off-kilter, always like a little bit unexpected note to that game, which is on the whole, one of the more irreverent Nintendo properties, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go go listen to every piece of music from Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, because they're all great. So you want me to look up the Rogueport theme real quick? You should, it's very good. Oh yeah, I remember now. It is a, it's a very charming theme. The other, the other one that's well worth looking up is the Rock Hawk theme, because it's so good. Oh, is this King of Fighters music? It really is, right? <laughs> it feels like fighting game music. God, I love I love this game. Everyone go play Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door if you can find it. Everyone mail personalized letters to Nintendo. I thought you were going to say Reggie fils who no longer works for the company. <laughs> Email former brand manager of uh, Pizza Hut, Reggie fils <laughs> and demand that Nintendo produce a, uh, a functioning virtual console with Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door on it. Anyway. Hey Dylan, do you have a, another piece of, of game music that is meaningful to you? Um, I do. I, I had two. I, I wanted to save the other one for later, but now I'm drawing a blank on that one, so I might have to just go with the first one. Okay. I remember what it is, and I'm going to save it for later, because at like all good things that we save for last, this is Sonic-related. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to take that put it in its own little compartment ship okay. that out over yeah. to the side ma- mail that box to ourself <laughs> um, but now it's out in the air so hopefully I won't forget again um, and I'm going to actually talk about Sin and Punishment a game that I have surprisingly only talked about once in our 70 episode run very recently in fact very recently in fact um, so I, I believe I might have brushed on this but um sin and punishment is a arcade style action game and it's very uh the music is very um it's not exactly what i would say memorable but it it drives the action if that makes sense 
Um, it's like very up-tempo electronica and, you know, kind of fits the uh, very arcade style nature of the game. And then like in the story, you get to a point where, you know, it's like it's the end of the second act. So it's like when right before like the dark moment uh, in the traditional three act storytelling. Yes, Sin and the Punishment cave. actually follows three act storytelling of course it does uh like it's not Honestly, at this point having never played it and having only heard what you've told me about it you could say anything happens in sin and punishment and i'd go mm, <laughs> all right i believe you <laughs> that's fair um so god the yeah the plot that's going on right now is you are playing as the main character's love interest because the main character has turned into a kaiju and the love interest is trying to figure out how to turn him back from a kaiju and yeah how much of this do i want to get into because this story makes no sense anyway um but basically the main villain of the game is showing the love interest a vision 10 years into the future and it's this very surreal level that you play through it's a, it's a train level and it's weird it's like kind of reflective and pensive you are running through the this train with your son who won't be born for another five years or something um hey dylan yes what are the words coming out of your mouth (laughs) (laughs) hey ethan sin and punishment has a weird story let me let me just read the opening text crawl of alien soldier (laughs) i'm gonna do it too uh maybe not right now but i'll do it once we wrap up (laughs) the episode uh (laughs) but anyway so yes it's very weird and surreal and during this whole thing, it goes from, like, the upbeat, uh, electronic, like, driving action music to something a lot more akin to Vaporwave, like, modern Vaporwave. I'm so into it. Um, and it's, look up Soldier A from Sin and Punishment. It's, like, a very chilled out mellow groove. And it, it's so distinct from, like, everything that, everything else that it has been playing that um, I think they reused it for the credits. Because it, it is, like, the standout song from that game. Uh, well, I, uh, I searched YouTube for Sin and Punishment Soldier A, and the first thing that came up was a song called Crime and Punishment by Hatsune Miku. Of course. <laughs> of course. And I don't think that's what you're trying to get me to see. Is it not Soldier A? It's it's something A. Type in Heroin OST. A? Heroin, yeah, Heroin A. Yo. Yeah, right? Very into this. Yeah, it's very good. Also very into this very strange box art. Yeah, no, I... Sin and Punishment is so fucking weird, but it's so... My... Everything. I fucking love (laughs) this game. And I can never criticize Kingdom Hearts fans, because I still, in my heart, have a special place for the story of Sin (laughs) and Punishment. But yeah, I guess it's, it's just very atypical for the genre, and that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, no, it's... And that's something that is so interesting with music is like music is something that even if you don't know anything about music theory, I know next to nothing about music theory or like music history or whatever. Mm-hmm. I know just enough to know that I don't know anything, <laughs> but like everyone hears music. And so even if you don't know why things are a certain way, you create like a framework in your mind of like what kind of music belongs where and what certain types of music are supposed to be like. And games have that in spades. Like, if you start playing, you know, most old school art, like Japanese RPGs, 
you know to kind what kind of what to expect musically. You know you're going to have like some big bombastic things. You're going to have some slower stuff. It's going to kind of try to ape like an orchestra using its its synth and its midi uh, midi pitches. And then when you get that like that percussion forward Turks theme from uh, from Final Fantasy VII, that jumps out at you. It's not what you're expecting. Same with something like this. Like you know. Everyone who has ever been to an arcade or watched a movie that had an arcade scene in it knows, has an idea in their head of like what the music in arcade style games is supposed to sound like. It's not mm. this, which is what makes hearing something like this so cool. I love it. It's good shit. It's good shit. Um, I also kind of wanted to talk about, uh, and I, I feel like a lot of games have recurring themes, but I guess... I, I especially like games that use lay motifs in a way that's like not readily apparent. Is it lay motifs or light motifs? I, I always I always thought it was lay motifs. Uh, it's probably light motifs. I'm probably just an idiot. But... I, say, I think it's light motifs because it's it's German. It's it's a oh an it's idea. German. Yeah well, no it's, I, it, yeah there we go okay yeah so uh, for you the audience a light motif is an idea I believe the term was first coined by Wagner uh, to describe a musical idea that can be repeated throughout a story in conjunction with a character or a theme or an object. Uh, the, the classic original example, because it was coined by Wagner, is the ring cycle. The ring cycle is this big, like, I don't fucking know, like 18-hour combination of operas, and it's just chock-a-block full with leitmotif. So there is a particular musical phrase or musical idea that is associated with each of the characters or associated with each of the major plot, like MacGuffins. And so anytime a character is doing something, there is they find a way to work that character's leitmotif into whatever the new song going on in that moment is. And you see them all the time in games. In fact, the most recent 8-Bit Music Theory episode was about leitmotifs, and very good. <laughs> but yeah, uh, what, what in particular put this in your head? So um, I was just thinking I, I needed an bleh, I needed an excuse to talk about my favorite uh, video game soundtrack, uh, Tales of Legendia, a game that I have never played, mind you. <laughs> I played, I, that's valid. It's it's like it's one. It is arguably the weakest Tales game in the series. Um, it was made by a different team, and you know my brother played a lot of it, and that's why I love the music so much. <laughs> um, but I I myself have never gotten too far into it. Uh, but the music's really good. The music is so good that I bought, I imported the soundtrack. You'll notice a running theme. I like to collect CDs. Um, yep. <laughs> I, I imported the soundtrack, and I know the soundtrack more from listening to it driving around than I do from playing the game. Uh, but there's a, there's a song called uh, Big Sister Honkawa, which I think is, or Hanwaka, sorry, which I think is a mistranslation of a song that should be titled Cheerful Big Sister. And it's like this very cheery, very jazzy kind of song that's the character theme for this character, Groon, who's like this very spacey kind of, like, she she's a character in the game. Uh, she's a party member, but she's like very spacey and ditzy. Um, ditzy's not the right word, but like, she's not this all fucking there. This fucking though. Oh, you, you looked it um, up? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's very good. This I fucking has love big, this like, Persona 5 energy. I could kind of see that, yeah. Uh, and then when, like, so there's, like, this minute, uh, sorry, there's, like, this, okay, it's actually, uh, 55 seconds of build-up, and then it starts playing the, uh, like, her main, lame, late, late motif, 
Uh, that's going to take some getting used to. <laughs> um, it's something I've only ever set a scene like in in print. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely one of those things that you you don't, unless you, like, come across a, in a class somewhere, you're not right. going to ever, like, hear someone just casually be like, mm, yes, the light motif in this moment. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's when you hear it, and it's being played very boldly and proudly on a that sounds like a trumpet i think that's yeah, i'd a say that's a trumpet yeah and then later by the end of the game i won't talk about tales of legendia's plot structure because that it, it's not like a long explanation but it's more than i care to give at the end of the game where the game has like kind of an epilogue campaign and at the end of that uh Grun dies and not gonna bother uh her her uh leitmotif comes back and it's in the in the song funeral march uh which i will send to you if you and it, it just starts out with that same leitmotif uh but it, it's played a lot slower and more somber and i didn't realize that they it was even that i That's i didn't so even realize cool. it was that melody until like my 40th time listening through the soundtrack and that's that's the other cool thing about like specifically leitmotifs as a as a storytelling element is there a way of like suggesting a parallel without needing to expressly say it mm-hmm. so if you have a well-constructed leitmotif something that is you know recognizable you can layer that into the music behind something that's going on as a method of foreshadowing or of like hinting that something is going on that like the player might not even consciously pick up on but they might hear it and like start to feel in a way that you maybe want them to feel, because music is fucking wizardry like that. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Also, both of those songs are really fucking good. Yeah, Chris, like, I'm, I'm telling you, you don't have to play this game to appreciate this soundtrack. It's that fucking good. I'm gonna have to spend some more time with this new friend. Now, what did you want to talk about vis-a-vis Sonic the Hedgehog? Well, what isn't there to say about Sonic the Hedgehog? Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> I so one of my favorite things about the Sonic Adventure games, uh, specifically Sonic Adventure 2, because that's when they really started to lean wholeheartedly into this, is that each character kind of has their own genre that represents them. So Sonic's is like this very fast, not quite punk, but like definitely ska in some places, like kind of ska, up-tempo, like very garage band sounding rock. I don't know what is wrong with my vocal cords right now. I, I just need to be drinking more water, I guess. That's fair. Adventure 2 straddles an interesting line between butt rock and lo-fi hip-hop that I don't know that any other game has ever been brave enough to try to follow. Oh, no, it's not just butt rock and lo-fi hip-hop. Um, no, but I would say those are the two extremes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I would I would agree with that. But, uh... <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. I hesitate to use butt rock because I feel like when I think butt rock, I think of new metal. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, but it's Escape from the City is like right up against butt rock. <laughs> you but I think you're right. I think it, it more it's it's more garage rock. Yeah, yeah. It's like not. It's you know. It's not Zeppelin or whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's it's still fun. Um, it's yeah. it's fun. It's good. It's. I think they're good. I, I think they're unironically, like, legitimately good songs. Oh, 100% um, agree with you. I'm also just not above saying that they fall into genres that historically are not great sometimes. That's fair. Um, but yeah, so that's what you have with Sonic. Uh, Eggman's a bit more industrial rock. He's got a lot more um, percussion to it. 
maybe even a little bit of math rock in there. It, it, it gels a lot more with his, you know, his calculating persona. He's a genius and he, he builds armies of robots and he has all these schemes and plans. Uh, and I think his music reflects that very well. Um, you have Tails, whose his music is also kind of garagey rock in a lot of a similar vein to Sonic, but it's a lot more brighter and poppier. Amy has like one song to her name, and it's also very bright and poppy. Uh, then you have Knuckles, who has the very uh, East Coast inspired hip hop tracks that uh, are rapped by Hundred Percent. Love him. They're such good fucking tracks. The beats so, on those are so good. The beats are good, so good, and the hundred percent tracks are like just the right amount of like cheesy and campy. Oh yeah, it, the, uh, they they perfectly straddle the point where like it's not great lyricism, but it's like a very particular kind of goofy lyricism that really works. More importantly, it's perfect for Knuckles. Yes, hundred yeah. percent. Like and I could, I, I could, didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no uh knuckles is uh i i could totally see him being like i'm saying knuckled up and then like you know sonic reads the lyrics he wrote down and just uses it as ammunition against him because who wouldn't um and then you have like shadow who like a lot of people kind of know shadow for his edgy opening in shadow the hedgehog which i will say is a lot closer to butt rock but somehow crush 40 uh pulls it off yeah um but like Original Sonic, or original Shadow in Sonic Adventure 2, his music is, like, very late 90s, early 2000s EDM and rave. It's, like, a very different type of soundscape, and I, I think it more reflects, like, what the scene was in, at, at the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like... It's, I never mm -hmm. considered just how perfectly each of their, like, musical styles fit mm -hmm. them as characters. Yeah. Which is a very cool thing and a very, like, ambitious thing for a game with that many playable characters to do. Yeah, Sonic, I'm pretty sure Sonic Adventure 2 has, like, four or five composers working, who worked Dang. on that soundtrack. They're, yeah, no, it's a lot of people. Um, And then I, I also have to mention Rouge, who has, like, these amazing, like, smooth jazz, uh, kind of bossa nova, R&B, like, fusion um, <laughs> tracks that are all, like, perfectly selling the fact that she is a spy and a Fujiko Mine from Lupin the Third XB. It, it's all really good. That, yeah. that soundtrack's good, and if you hate it because, uh, butt rock, listen to the other genres, you yeah, prick. Yeah, no, take a, take a gander at any given Knuckles-level track, and, like, I defy you to not find yourself nodding along to those beats. It's impossible. <laughs> Unless you hate rap. Yeah, which, in which like, case, we might like, have another problem. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, I feel like that'll that'll do us for this episode, though. And I this think was, so this too. was fun. Like I said, I would love to come back to like a more focused examination of game music at some point, preferably with a guest who actually knows what they're talking about, and it's not just us talking about music we like. But I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode anyway. I hope you had fun listening to us talk about some music that surprised us or, or means a lot to us in some games that we like and regardless we'll talk to you next week so until then thank you for listening to backstage gaming as always you can check us out at our website bsgpod.com it's got info about the show it's got a contact form if you want to get in touch with us it's got all kinds of cool stuff about us and wherever you're getting your podcast make sure 
to leave a review, leave a rating, tell people about us, tell your friends, tell your family. I would say tell your neighbors, but only do so from six feet away. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter, where our handle is at BSG underscore cast. Um, also, if you want to engage with us in any sort of way, we recommend you use that hashtag BSGpod. Also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brennan French for the key art he has provided our show. Um, if you like his stuff and want to check out what else he does, you can check out his Squarespace at... Uh, sorry, Brennan-French.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N-French.squarespace.com. You can also find him on Instagram.com slash BrennanFrenchArts or on Twitter at Brennan underscore French. You should also go show some love to our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality, and he's a great composer, great producer. Honestly, maybe he's who we get on to talk about video game music now that I'm thinking about it. Man, that would be smart. It'd be very cool. Uh, but you can check him out on his SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. That's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or you can check him out by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. Thank you also to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a great network full of podcasts about video games, sometimes from the fandom side, sometimes from the news side, sometimes from the development side, and sometimes from weird, hard-to-define sides like us. If you like our show, you'll probably like a few of theirs too, so go check them out on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. Thank you also to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. This is all your fault. We appreciate the hell out of all of you. And if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be able to keep making the show as reliably as we do. So thank you so much for that. And if you like our show and you want to help support us financially or otherwise, share or head to patreon.com slash bsgpod and take a look there. That's all I got for this week. So Dylan, why don't we harmonize I, uh... our way out of here? Oh, Oh, okay. Well, before we I, do, before okay. we do that, all right. Um, I just, I, I, there was one thing I just thought about that, um, I won't go into, but I'll, I'll, I'll do a quick shout out, honorable mention. Lost Woods from Ocarina of Time. Oh, yeah. If you yeah. know, you know. Oh, yeah. If you yeah. know, you know. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>